Montany Simper Liberi. Mountaineers are always free. Well, I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's the state's motto, and is a way of defining who we are as West Virginians. But that saying hits a little differently this episode. Today we have one of the more memorable and possibly impactful interviews yet on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Danielle Walker joins us. She's a House of Delegates member representing Mon County. And what's crazy is that she's not originally from the Mountain State, but when she made her journey here, she quickly felt at home, and she couldn't find many reasons to leave. By no stretch of the imagination does that mean this place is perfect, but Delegate Walker is fighting every day to at least try and make it that way. In this episode, we discuss Danielle's journey to West Virginia, her thoughts in combating the opioid epidemic, and why our state leadership is focused on the wrong thing in the fight against COVID-19. Plus, we dive into the new districts across West Virginia, a highly debated topic amongst the delegates, forcing some of them to have to relocate. This episode is a must-listen because Danielle's humility shines through. Her perseverance to make West Virginia a beautiful place to live is infectious. So we hope you enjoy this next hour with us and Delegate Danielle Walker. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And CJ, what's up? Good morning, man. Uh, man, good morning to you as well. We've got a, a great guest lined up here today. Coop, you want to do a little inter- introduction? House of Delegate member, Daniel Walker. <laughs> We certainly do. Yeah, well, good morning, Danielle. How are you? Let me just say good morning first. <laughs> good morning, Mountaineer. <laughs> it's early in the morning, so thank you. It's We're recording this around whatever time it is, 8.30, so thank you for jumping on uh, early with us. Get, uh, just now, kind of get my morning stored, started. I had some morning cereal <laughs> getting, getting the day moving, but... But you are, you're a busy person. We were just talking before the episode, you do a lot of things, you wear many hats. And I think at the core of it all, it's a dedication to service, community, family, mm-hmm. uh, and progress. I would, that's how I would summarize all the work that you do. Um, let me just start the episode with, you know, you're a member of the House of Delegates, folks listening to this, you rep- you're at a Morgantown or Montegalia County, I should say. Um, when, when did you first get elected to office for the people that are maybe unfamiliar with West Virginia state politics? 2018 is when I put my name on the ballot, not being originally from West Virginia. And we worked very hard and we won that first election in 2018. I was reelected in 2020 and we're putting our name on the ballot again in 2022. I love it. I love yeah. it. So, so maybe even tell us a little bit about your, your background. You're, you're from the Bayou, right? You're down from Louisiana and then you kind of made your way here. Sorry. My cat is jumping in on the zoom as well. <laughs> Annie's trying to get in. She's got some hardball questions lined up anyway, <laughs> maybe run it back and uh, tell us how you kind of ended up in West Virginia, because it's uh, it's a good story. And then like Cooper just said, uh, a life of service so far to this point. And it's uh, you know, we're, we're glad to have you here in West Virginia. Thank you. So I was a widow at 28 years young. My first husband died right after Hurricane Katrina and Rita while we were still in Louisiana. I remarried two years later um, and my ex-husband, we were divorced when he received a phenomenal job offer through Chesapeake Energy, through Great Plains, oil and mm-hmm. gas industry blowing up here um, in, in these states. And so we packed up the boys, a truck and a U-Haul, and we made our way to the mountain state. And West Virginia truly is my second chance state. When I didn't have the strength to save myself, she was there to wrap me up in her arms. And who would have knew 11 years later, I would have made Morgantown my home by being a homeowner with 
Habitat for Humanity. My mother is a neighbor. Um, she's right across the cul-de-sac with me, again, in a Habitat for Humanity home. And the people here where I thought being a mountaineer was just a mascot, it's not. It's yeah. a way of living, it's a way of thinking, it's the work ethic, it is the unity, it is the solidarity, it is taking care of your own. I've always grew up with, it takes a village to raise a, a child. Mm -hmm. But when you come to West Virginia, it takes a village to raise people. And I felt it here. It was the first place I had a pepperoni roll. And he's <laughs> <laughs> in Port Marion, right? I no. love it. No, no doubt. Now, Daniel, have you found, I mean, because if, you, if you're a lifelong West Virginian like CJ and I, we, I feel like there's a degree of when we grew up in this culture, we're immensely proud of West Virginia. We grow up not knowing anything else, right? It's like West Virginia is your entire life. It's your entire culture. But then you kind of grow up and you get, you hear more outside opinions and we get told things about our state. We get told that it's unwelcoming. We get told that it's not a place to be, that it's uneducated, health problems, drug problems, that sort of thing. There is, of course, merit to that. We do have those issues in West Virginia, right? But it's a weird paradox of being, well, this is almost heaven. I kind of feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. But then I get told that this is not a good place to be. So it, it, it's a, I think it's always a weird like back and forth between this is great. This is my home. This is West Virginia. No other place where I'd want to be versus, hey, we've got a lot of systemic problems in the state that we have to address. As, a, as someone who has came here to this state, what has that been like to you and observing it as uh, like a newfound mountaineer? Do you feel like it was a welcoming place? Do you feel like the culture and the people were receptive of new ideas, people, culture, like that sort of thing when you first moved to West Virginia, not knowing what it was going to be like? My ex-husband and I were a interracial couple. The backlash that we received in Louisiana in the small town that we lived in was eye-opening. Hmm. As soon as certain people seen us together as a couple, it was a problem. When they seen us separate, it wasn't an issue. Hmm. We had no idea what we were gonna be facing when we moved to West Virginia, but we lived in a Cheat Lake area in a gated community. And I stayed reserved into myself most of the time. It was when my ex-husband would come home um, because as he was supposed to only be working in Mount Morris, that only lasted a week and a half and ended up working in Hearthsheads, New York. So that would put him away from us until Friday and Saturday and leaving back on the road on Sundays. But we started doing things in the community. I immediately started being a member of the newspaper. And so we did the chili cook-offs. We did the things on High Street. Mm -hmm. um, we started making our own traditions in our state. It's a beautiful state where you could see the four seasons and just like the seasons change, you have to be open-minded. History was different here in the South where slavery was more profound and Jim Crow was still in existence. In Morgantown, I really didn't feel that. Mm. Um, I, I didn't feel that that divide and I didn't feel that racial divide. And maybe it was just the way that I carried myself and the way that my sons carried themselves in school. And I immediately got involved in the PTSO and pushed my kids to be involved in this new community that we were in. Mm -hmm. these issues of drug epidemic socioeconomic class poverty they exist in every state so I was not going to allow anyone to say that we were hillbillies and we were backwards I can't stand those types of stigmas anywhere in, with any groups not on my watch and so that's where my dedication is in the legislature. That's where my dedication is in the policies I introduce, moving us forward. Mm -hmm. In any part of progress and change, 
the first step is to take a stand. Mm-hmm. And that was my first hashtag when I put my name on the ballot. Take a stand. When you find the energy to rise up from where you are, that is progress and that is change. But it was also in a place of one love, no judgment of anyone, no one that is facing addiction, no one who is on their recovery path, no one who is facing houselessness or a livable wage, fighting for childcare, none of those things. When you start to place judgment on a group of people, on a something, that's that's where those barriers and boundaries start. And you can't ever move from that. But when you listen to hear the lived experience, the personal truths, and you could share a platform, then we are changing this to, to, to higher levels. And that's exactly what we're doing in our mountain state. This is why people come here because it is almost heaven. And it's not just about the beautification of the mountains. It's not because we have a national forest here. It's the heart and the heartbeat of each and every mountaineer. Yeah. Yeah. I, seriously spot on. I, a couple of points and to kind of wrap all that up. Uh, yeah. Mountain Mama's embrace is strong and welcoming and very open and warm hearted. You know, I think everybody kind of embodies that mountaineer spirit. If you live in West Virginia, or at least you have to, you have to embrace it when you get here. Otherwise you're probably not going to enjoy it. Um, kind of going to the other point. Uh, I'm glad that that is the experience that you had kind of going back to Cooper's question of what it is that you felt when you did come to West Virginia, because that is oftentimes you're, you're not sure how people are going to view West Virginia or see things. So I'm glad that that is where you are at in your time in, in West Virginia and, you know, that you were lending your time into the legislature because that is where a lot of change can happen. Good and, you know, for the better, for the future of the state. So how do you feel that you kind of being what is formerly an outsider, not so much now, but do you think that you bring in kind of some different mindsets to the legislature that uh, previously did not exist, or at least you kind of bring a different perspective, um, just kind of growing up outside of West Virginia, being welcomed here when you did get here? Of course. Um, When we first moved here, like I said, we were in a gated community. And then things started to become um, very political um, with the Marcellus Shale and so we went from a gated community to Cheat Lake and to HUD housing, Morgantown. And so that life's journey of being very independent to getting the hand up in the food pantries. So I witnessed food insecurity. Mm-hmm. I witnessed the transportation disparity. Um, I witnessed um, not having a home that was accessible when my youngest son started having surgeries on his feet. So all those things, all those trials and tribulations gave me a different perspective. I didn't know my neighbors in that gated community, but as soon as I got into that hood housing community, it was like a different closeness. I, I, I learned where the park was. Um, I paid attention to my neighbors having to walk on Greenback without a sidewalk to try to get to Giant Eagle. It made me want to uplift those concerns. It's not like no one wanted to work. Everybody wanted to work, but you also need a livable wage. If I am working a minimum wage job and I'm working full-time hours, but I'm only considered a part-time employee, then I don't get that health care. In the three jobs that I work in, my two jobs, I work full-time hours, but because it's through the waiver program, which is a state program, I don't get offered health care. And so when you try to, when you finally get the boot, not even the straps, 
Yeah. You find <laughs> and you work in the get your straps together and something just gets pulled from under you. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to make it better to wear families, individuals, and the systems will not be forced to be manipulated in order to grow. That's what I bring to the legislature. All right, let's be real. Finding a new job is really, really hard. I mean, you can use search engines for hours on hours and you usually end up right where you started, still looking for a job. So hey, why not simplify the process and let the team over at Mountaineer Employment Solutions do the heavy lifting for you? And there's a good chance you'll start making money and putting that in your pocket, doing something you actually want to do. So what do you need to do? Well, first head over to beamountaineer.com and check out what they've got going on in your neck of the woods because they've got job openings all over the state of West Virginia. But hey, maybe you like talking in person about what you want to do. Well, they've got two offices, one in South Charleston and the other in Morgantown. So if you just want to talk to someone and kind of give them your thoughts on what you're good at, what you're skilled at, where your interests are, walk in and Bill Carter's team will make sure to help you out. So here it is again, Mountaineer Employment Solutions, West Virginia's premier talent acquisition and staffing leader, a proud partner of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Where does... And I hear you on that. And I, I agree because I think West Virginia, in my opinion, there, um, of course, everything's just my opinion, one humble man's opinion. Um, we have a culture where bootstrapping is kind of like ingrained into the culture, right? Like I, this self-reliant culture of I'm going to figure it out. I don't need the government help. This is just going to be me. And that's fine to have that mantra and that attitude. But if we look out how that's doing, it's not doing very well for a lot of people to have that mantra that I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to pull it up because of the things that you said, like you're one step away from complete catastrophe financially, maybe, or healthcare related. Like you could list all the different ways that could uh, impact them. Now, when I think about though, then I think about the West Virginia culture uh, voting largely Republic on it, Republican on issues in terms of like limited government or not wanting government intervention. So at the same time, when the vast majority of West Virginians need a helping hand, need a lift up, need some sort of assistance, there's also this attitude of like, we don't want big government in this area, in West Virginia. So it's a weird paradox where it would be, you would think the same people that would appreciate and want some sort of assistance leg up don't always vote like that in, in this culture. So it's a weird phenomenon. I don't know exactly why that occur. I'm sure someone, a political science major would be able to tell me. Um, but in your opinion, when we have issues like this, systemic problems like this, is government the answer? Is the government solely the answer? Is it collaboration with nonprofits? Is it like, is it just tremendous amounts of education? Maybe, on, maybe the government provides the education or clarity to understanding these issues. Because I, some, and I've been on here saying that I don't think government is the answer to everything, right? And, I, and that, that's not a statement that says like you're Republican, you're a Democrat. I just don't think if I look out and see what the government manages, sometimes I don't think they're managing it that well, right? If we look out the national politics are run, I don't know if I want to just every aspect of my life, I want the government to decide for me. And I think that's what a lot of people are maybe afraid of when they think about like expanding maybe social services or programs that are meant to like help lift people out of poverty. It's always oh, it's just government going to come in and do it for everything. Like they quickly jump to that. And I don't think that's the case, but I don't know what the case actually is for helping these systemic problems. So I know that was a long winded, maybe explanation. Hopefully you followed me, but, but like, like you see what I'm saying? Like what is maybe, or have you found has been most successful in trying to implement these, like tackling the systemic problems of like homelessness and healthcare and um, you know, even like drug abuse and that sort of thing. Education is key. So there's an intersection when you were speaking, government and politics, it's two different entities. Mm. I hear many folks say, I just don't deal with politics. If you drive on the roads, that's politics. Yeah, yeah you deal with politics. Good point. <laughs> the grocery store, that's politics. Mm-hmm. However, you're educating children, public school, private school, parochial, homeschool, guess what? Government. 
your taxes you pay at a city level, county level, state level, federal level. It's government. The politics comes with the propaganda. How are you educating these people? Now we say that West Virginia is a red state. Is West Virginia a red state? Or did a group of people just get tired of voting? Because they see the same thing happening over and over again. We have nothing universal. So what you need to apply for SNAP benefits is different than what you need to apply for TANF benefits. It's different what you need to apply for Medicaid. It's different for what you need to apply for Section 8. If you have never been, if you have never needed a hand up from government, that it's very intimidating for anyone. So you lean on the nonprofits of American Red Cross. If you've had a flood, a fire, if you, and we are in need of blood products now, West Virginia shelves are empty and we need this. And I know because I went through it with my late son that just died in June. We have phenomenal nonprofits as the United Way. We have CASA that is court appointed for any child that has dealt with any type of trauma and abuse, our foster care system is leaking like a capillary and we cannot find the Band-Aid or a tourniquet to stop it. Where is all this? Where, where's the root of all this? People have no hope. There's no jobs here. There's no sustainability. We have Mylan Pharmaceuticals to shut its stores. We will not feel that impact for another year or two. Right. It is Mylan Pharmaceuticals that helps our public education. No doubt. They are there to volunteer for the Christmas toy drives. Their assistant goes out throughout the whole state. We knew that we had safe pharmaceuticals that was right here in Morgantown. We don't know where these drugs are gonna be made now. We don't know the, just, it, it's so much. And so you do your best to sit with all of your colleagues and your counterparts. And we must come to a round table or flip the table, take the walls down. We must come to an open area because we need open-minded. We need federal, we need city, we need county, we need state. We need everybody there that is an elected official. And we must start talking to each other. I get emails all the time where I can help this individual because it's something at a city level of government mm. or it's something at a federal level of government and no one is educating the people. So they get frustrated and they shut down. How do we come back and we revive those things? You get uncomfortable. You make that three-way call with that person in DC. You make that three-way call with that person with the county commissioners. You go meet them at their home. You sit in your vehicle, you let them stand up because you know what? They may not have a home either. So mm. you go exactly where the people are. And sometimes it's okay to share your personal truth. And so, yes, I was on SNAP benefits. Yes, I was on TANF. Yes, I lived in HUD housing. Yes, I'm a partner family with Habitat for Humanity. And you have to break those stigmas because people think because we're partner families with Habitat, it's a free home. Let me tell you, those sweat equity hours is not free. Right. I have a mortgage just like anyone else. I have to pay my homeowner's insurance like anyone else. This is where it saves. My light bill is much cheaper than it ever was in Cheat Lake. And even when I was in HUD housing, even getting a utility check. And you go and you go, well, how? That's that financial literacy that we lack. Mm -hmm. And so I am happy to work with our state treasurer, Raleigh Moore. When we started 
member of these different programs of West Virginia ABLE. We have a high number of folks that's disabled in West Virginia. I was dependent on my oldest son to take care of my youngest son who has autism. Now my oldest son is gone. I'm an only child. What do I do with my child? What do I do? How do I save? How do I make sure that he's going to have everything he needs in his life? We have programs here in the state of West Virginia. So we're not backwards and we're not, you know, the bottom of the barrel. We have those things in place, but how do we educate our mountaineers to make sure that they know that also? So it's different levels to this. Um, we, we, yes, we have a high rate of obesity. We have a high rate of heart disease in the state, but we also have some food deserts. There's a family dollar or dollar store, dollar tree everywhere. There's no fresh produce in those places. So people do the best that they can, right? But we also have to pull in that education piece of what exactly is food insecurity? What exactly is being hungry? And we have to take that mindset that that only happens in other countries and not the United States of America, because it happens right here also. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think I think we're just seeing it all over still. Yeah, like you said, and and the problems that we have here in this state are no different than the problems that we have anywhere else. And I do think that everybody kind of has to understand that. Is there hope? Are we going in the right direction? Are we doing things that are pushing us in the right direction to kind of solve some of the issues that we're talking about? Because we're very we're talking we are talking some detailed stuff at the lower level, but we are very talking about this overwhelming issue of it doesn't feel like anybody has hope nowadays, but are, are we going in a direction? Do you feel like there are certain things going on that we are possibly moving in a place where everybody is going to be feeling a little bit better mentally about uh, the almost like the state of the union in a sense? So 2018, I was all about go green West Virginia. So we need solar, we need wind here, but most of all, we need cannabis. We need cannabis, not just at a medical level, we need it at a recreational level. That is gonna bring in some economic boost all over this state. I understand that it's a controversy issue, but you know what? Colorado did it, other states did it, and we need it here. Our people are hurting. It is gonna help with the opioid crisis, but we have an opioid crisis. We have an opioid epidemic. But we have a drug epidemic, y'all. It doesn't stop with the opioids. Yeah. We have meth that is overtaking um, families. We have this fentanyl that is killing young people in droves. And the pandemic just opened the eyes and shed some light in cracks and crevices and shadows that we were just overlooking. So we're getting better. We have more beds, accommodating beds, if someone wants to get into recovery. Um, we have diversified recovery, whether it's going to be a Christian path, whether it's going to be abstinence, whether it's medical assisted. Um, but we also, as a community, everybody should have Narcan training. Why would you not want to save the life of your neighbor? We need to expand our mind. I was an insulin-dependent diabetic. I would have loved if I would have went into a state building or a city building and seen a, a sharps container. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be somewhere where somebody's going to be high, but it would eliminate those safety measures of me trying to keep my sharps in my purse, waiting to get home because I go, go, go all the time. So it's just breaking those stigmas also and educating our children at a level of even kindergarten. You have children that are getting on the buses and getting high. Ooh. It sounds insane when you say it. That's it sounds insane, but that's the reality. 
What's up guys, Cooper here. I wanted to bring you an important message that this podcast is sponsored by Raise Rub. Raise Rub is a delicious West Virginia original recipe seasoning that you can put on beef, chicken, wild game, casseroles, stews, you name it. I've done it, it's delicious. You can find it at raiserub.com. You can also jump on Amazon, search Raise Rub, it'll be right there. It's on our website, it's on our social media. Delicious stuff, Brody, the owner, is a rock star entrepreneur, really cares about community people in West Virginia, and this stuff is legit. So we highly encourage you to give it a try at your next cookout or just at night at home making dinner for yourself. So Raise Rub, raiserub.com, grab yourself a bottle. Now, Daniel, let me take you back to the communication piece, because I think that's so important. Um, I tend to focus on that. My day job is director of communications for a financial firm. So my mind usually goes to like, I think a lot of problems can be solved through communications. You have marital problems. I think if you start with communication, it maybe it can work out. Um, and I, you know, we started a podcast because we felt like communication was so important. We wanted to at least facilitate these type of conversations. Um, but... And I love having uh, all different types of people, politicians, both sides of the party, different people, different opinions on here. Sometimes we catch some flack like, oh, you're interviewing this person. Oh, you had this person on. And I, ch- I always push back upon that because I don't want to live in a world where we say, no, I just want to shut that person out and not talk about it. Or I don't even want to hear their opinion. To me, that is just a non-starter to say that, oh, this person has done this in their life, so therefore shutting them out they don't get an opinion and i think we live in that culture now with social media because and we've spoken to a few people about this because if i don't like what daniel says technically i could just block you on twitter and then i would just never have to hear about you now to some degrees it's like okay sure if you don't want to hear if someone's putting out toxic stuff sure maybe you don't want that in your life you can block those people and you don't have to expose yourself to that but i do think it's social media for better or for worse has kind of shifted the way we communicate with each other in real life because if we if we don't have an opinion if we don't like something we can just block it and tune it out and then we further increase ourselves in circles that only echo the same voice that we have which if and that's not good for dynamic problem solving when you have that complex issues like this so i like and i wish and i don't know how this takes place i think we try to do it piece week by week by having different people on here but When I think about communication from the government or elected officials, the only general communication that people really pay attention to is campaign speeches. And that's not great because campaign speeches, people will promise the world, you know, the factory's coming in, the sky is going to be blue every day. And, you know, it's always going to be sunny. And if if that's the only time that I hear from my elected officials is during campaign season, that's a big problem because they're telling me what I want to hear. And that's, you know, I'm going to feel, I'm going to, you could listen to any politician, Republican or Democrat, you'd be like, oh, well, damn, that's a pretty good idea. That kind of makes sense, right? Like you can get sucked into that. Um, So I think... I don't know. Again, I don't know how this works, but I appreciated your line of like meeting people where they are and not feeling like your elected officials are, you know, way off in some land or ivory tower or some courthouse building that I have no idea how to get a hold of them. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of poli- you know political offices and stuff is. It's kind of like, yeah, send an email to this generic email. And then, you know, a couple months later, you'll get a letter saying that we've heard it and we're going to talk about it later. So I think you represent maybe a new age type of politician, at least outwardly, publicly, where it's like, you're not afraid to share personal stories and not everyone has to be extremely open about their personal life, but at least you're saying like, Hey, I'm going to talk about these complex issues and I'm going to do it on the living room couch of a constituent, right? I'm not just going to put out a press release. I wish more politicians would do that. I I think if we saw more West Virginia politicians saying like, we've got a drug problem, we have a serious drug problem. It's a crisis. Like if, if we were to just use words that actually represent the issues going on or like the fact that we don't have broadband, you know, access everywhere in this state is a, a national or state level emergency. Because if we don't fix that in the next 10 years, forget the future. The future is online. The future is digital. If we don't as a state have the infrastructure to participate that, forget any job. Because it's just not going to be, we're not going to have the infrastructure to do it. But I don't see anyone saying that like stark opinion about like, you know, I don't see people really calling it out like that, at least on the elected side or because of politics and running for office and not being afraid to get caught saying something. So I just want to say that one, I appreciate you saying things that I think people talk about, but you don't see politicians being as frankly speaking about them. Um, But I wish there was a way to more formally 
institute that type of communication from government to people, because then that would inform me, okay, I actually do agree with that person, or that is where I can implement the change. It's at this level, or that's the event that if I'm just a passionate constituent, now I know where to go like volunteer or vote or do these things. But if I didn't know about it, I would just probably default to the bystander effect, which is say someone else's problem. You know, if 99 people are standing around someone who was just shot, like no one ends up helping that person because they assume someone else is going to. So I think a lot of people default into that, like, oh, someone else is going to fix that. That's not going to be me. But if you shine the light on it, I think it's like, wow, okay, like I can do something. You know, maybe my voice does matter. So I don't know if that was a question, more so, more so a, a comment or feedback, but do you see what I'm saying that I, I, don't, I don't know how it looks placed that I, I wish more community, I wish politicians and elected officials communicated more directly with people and not branding themselves at them, if that makes sense. So I absolutely went through this with the pandemic when we started with the unemployment um, issues at the state level. Our computer system was so outdated that um, our unemployment offices and so I put myself out there in social media because people were just having so many issues. Um, I shared people made memes of what numbers to press to speak to a real person. And then I started saying, email me, call me. I will take, even on my website, we had a form that you would fill out on my website. It would come to my email and I would forward it directly I stopped forwarding it to, to, to our unemployment offices. I stopped forwarding it to workforce because I wasn't getting any answers. I would forward it directly to the governor's office, to the director of constituent service. Shout out to Mr. Jason Williams, who is still dealing with me and unemployment issues. And I would tell him, and I need a follow-up. Let me know who spoke to this person and what they told this constituent. Who I am, I did not just do this for Mon County constituents. I did it for the people in the Eastern Panhandle, the Northern Panhandle, the Southern Coalfields. And I only know that because they shared that information with me. But what was so heartbreaking was I reached out to my delegate and my senator and Danielle, they didn't call me back. Because we were in the Capitol for 60 days, yeah. And once a month doing interims, your responsibility and your oath that you took to this state does not stop there. When my neighbors hurt, I hurt. To hear people say that they went through their savings account and I have no more money. And it was poor education on our part. I had an elderly lady contact me maybe a month and a half ago saying, Danny, I never received my unemployment, immediately sent that email. She received a card in the mail. She thought it was a junk card because she put in that she wanted it to go straight to her bank account. She threw it away. Hmm. All her money was on that card. She threw it away. Jeez. But I'm glad that she felt comfortable enough to contact me. Right. And I put myself out there. I put myself in a very, some compromised positions, y'all, because <laughs> I did interview with the news in front of Workforce West Virginia office going, these doors are closed and I need them open. <laughs> if is open, feeding the people, I need this open. This is the lifeline. This is the heartbeat. And it's not open. And the parking lot is empty. I understand you want to work from home. But healthcare workers are out there. Right. You are the heroes. I have no job. I've never had to do unemployment. Think about it. You had people that worked for 30, 40 years who never had to depend on unemployment. Mm -hmm. And older, and they don't have broadband. Yeah. What do you want them to do? Yeah. Well, it's good that we have a governor who can do uh, a broadcast saying that we're bringing millions for broadband, but what what company? The same company. If it rains, your home phone goes out. God, God help us if it's sudden. I would just say that. Did you pull up in your driveway? Yeah. And then you make all these children go virtual, and you wonder why they're not on point this year. It's not the educators; it's the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 
Infrastructure is broadband. Infrastructure is roads. Infrastructure is childcare. Mm -hmm. And if you can't afford it, your infrastructure is broken. And that's not a Democrat. That's not a Republican. That's just life. So we need to fix the infrastructure and stop giving people these propaganda words. No one wants to get on these bandwagon. The glittering generalities is over. We need solutions and we need them now. Is there almost a list of like priorities? I know every, every member in the house or the Senate or anybody in the legislature has things that they are trying to prioritize, but ultimately where's the priority list of things that need to be accomplished in West Virginia, where it's like, okay, let's fight COVID-19 and then fight the drug epidemic and then rebuild and redefine the, the infrastructure. I mean, why in why is that difficult to almost follow that list of like, we need to do this and then let's do this and le- then let's do this. I know that's very simple when it's on paper, but why is that so difficult? Why is that something that we continue to battle and battle? Because CJ, until you get people to understand that everything is intersectional, it's going to be a cluster. Quote of the year. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) If you don't have great health care, how are you going to get to work every morning? If you don't have transportation, or if you had it and you hit a pothole, and now you, you have a flat tire or your rim is bent. You don't even have money for your light bill. So how are you going to go to the tire station? How do you even know that your, your city may not even have a tire station? Because we have rural West Virginia. We have public education. So if there's no broadband at home, there's no broadband at school, right? Yeah. And we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So we have our educators doing three jobs with one pay. They're taking care of the child in the classroom. They're taking care of the child that's at home on quarantine. And they're taking care of the child that's virtual. Mm. There's going to be some burnout. We need those federal dollars to come into those local communities and we need to give local control over that money. I, being a state legislature, can only appropriate the funds, but do you think I know what is needed in Mingo County? No doubt. It's not my county. I'm not in the school systems. I'm not shopping for those seniors. But I can bet your bottom dollar if I can find two more hours in a day, I'll do my best to do it. Mm-hmm. Who knows better than those areas? This is where that communication goes in into speaking to the city elected officials and also the counties. We must start speaking to each other. And we must start making every leader accountable, myself included. Maybe that's what we need to do as a legislature when we're not in session. Maybe Governor Justice can do it for the people instead of doing it for baby dog <laughs> and get us some chartered buses so we can go and visit other counties. I want to go to the Southern Pole Fields. I want to go to the Eastern Panhandle. I want to see those creeks that it's just contaminated, the, the water. The children can't even play in the creeks. You can't even turn on the faucet and have a glass of water. I mm-hmm. want to go in the areas. I want to go to the cities whose water management is, is like hundreds of years old. That is, that is unnecessary. Not with all the money that is coming in the state of West Virginia. And what makes it so hard is when we get those federal dollars, we don't even know how we can spend them until two or three months down the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, we have to almost address the elephant in the room is that a prominent West Virginia senator is kind of thwarting this the passage of potentially, uh, you know, maybe once in a generation style bill. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, we've had Joe Manchin on the podcast again. Like I said, I'll talk to anybody because I think if I would interview anybody in the seat, um, it is interesting. Yeah, I, I can't quite place uh, directly where his head's at with that. It seems like. 
a, a mix of political gamesmanship and horse trading and and not wanting to to evolve West Virginia, maybe personally, maybe uh, resources and connections that he has. Um, but it's certainly, I mean, how can we not as a West Virginia community discuss it when he's like on the news every single day, um, you know, basically putting himself in the middle of all this. Um, it's frustrating for West Virginians to see that because a lot of people would greatly benefit from the programs that could be implemented. Um, let me, um, we don't have to focus on Manchin. He gets enough time. I don't want to talk about him. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but let me switch gears and ask you about this re- redistricting because, um, you know, it, it's officially called redistricting. And I'm sure the official government definition is when communities and demographics change, we want our elected officials to represent the people of the area. But you could really say it's gerrymandering, which is manipulating artificial lines across a state or a region in order to gain more votes to more likely get elected, right? You got one definition called redistricting. The real definition is gerrymandering. The state has been redrawn, apparently, and I'm not an expert on this by all means. Um, Some people are happy with it. Some people are not. I saw a lot of people like have to like move if they want to run. Some people are like, it kind of put, I think, I guess it depended on you guys. If you live within the same geographical area of someone else that got moved in there, now it's like you have two people. So either one person's got to move or two people got to run against each other. What has had what has that process been like for you, and what's your overall take on that? I feel like Home Alone. Can I just scream? <laughs> you can scream. You can scream on here. <laughs> My goodness, it goes back to education. So I did attend some of the town halls that the redistricting committee did all around the state. There was even some that was done online. The bill has already passed that we were going to single member districts. Mm -hmm. Why were constituents getting up saying that they want single member districts? That's already done, honey. Yeah. But that's that poor piece of education. Mm. What would have been most beneficial would be, let's see how we need to cut this area where I live because we have 55 counties and we have a hundred delegates and we're going to single member districts. 55 and a hundred, somebody's gonna overlap somewhere, right? Yeah, right, yep. So let's make sure we have that population makeup. Let's make sure that we are doing fair line cuttings. Let's make sure we're not gerrymandering and we see it all over. You can pull my voting record. I voted no on every map because every map had it gerrymandering. And I didn't care if my district was saved. It was a no for me. Yeah. Because I get those calls. I get those calls about my unemployment. I get those calls, Danny, I'm hungry. I get those calls. I have my grandchildren. I don't know what to do. You broke up Wetzel County. You broke up Dunbar and Institute. You broke up Big Pockets in Charleston. You broke up the Southern Coalfields. The biggest one in the redistricting meeting, I never knew we had the headquarters of the National Alliance, which is a white supremacist group in Pocahontas County, an incumbent delegate. What? <laughs> oh yeah, you got to take that one slow. I was like, I just heard that. I was like, what? <laughs> what the heck? Exactly. So they drew around this young man which he is a, 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 a African-American who happens to be a Republican, they drew around so he would not have to represent that particular area of Pocahontas County. The most disgusting argument that day was, well, Democrats, are you telling me that you would want him to be in danger? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Of yeah, course, so, I'm on the redistricting committee, yeah. but I called Sean Hornbuckle because I was spinning in the chair. And I said, you asked him, where's the map for all the hate groups in West Virginia? Because we have seven classes of minorities. So I want to know where the hate group is that don't like women, that don't like elders, that don't like handicapped people, LGBTQ community. Like, I, I need that map. And then it was like, 
Oh, we don't know what you're talking about. I don't think I understand the question. Okay, so when I when I get out of here, the, the news reporter is going to understand the interview. That is gerrymandering. Mm. It would not be gerrymandering if you did that across the whole state. And why are we giving preference to incumbents? For every West Virginia who is able to put their name on the ballot should have that without any strife. And it really, really annoyed me because in 2020, when I went to Kingwood, West Virginia for a Black Lives Matter march, and I was met with rifles and a militia and all kinds of folks because they thought that I was coming burn down their town of Kingwood with a bottle of water with keys. That's it. I wrote a letter to Governor Justice and I asked him to denounce white supremacy in our state. I've yet to get an answer from him. So I'll be writing another letter because now it was said on the House floor that we have this here in West Virginia. You're going to denounce it. We had to carve out a place so this young man could be safe because we don't know what would happen to him in Pocahontas County if he knocked on the wrong door. That is unacceptable in 2021. This is not who we are as mountaineers. I don't care what kind of propaganda someone puts that out. That is not who we are. And we should not stand by this. I will not stand for this. I will not stand back. I will not stand by. I will scream it from the rooftops. And just seeing your reaction, like, what did she just say? <laughs> yeah. Let me let me pull this up here because this is oh, uh, this is a good piece here. This is uh, from Brad McElhaney on on uh, West Virginia Metro News. And uh, yeah, the, the change was made from the original proposal where the area had been numbered as di- District 20. Brandon Steele, Delegate Brandon Steele, brought up the presence of the head- headquarters for the National Alliance, a white supremacist group in Pocahontas County on the map originally rolled out for redistricting. redistricting That would have put the National Alliance in an area represented by incumbent Caleb Hanna, one of the House's three black members. Hanna is a 21-year-old Republican from Nicholas County. That's insanity. I mean, that yeah. is it's crazy that that's. I don't know how I miss this story. I don't know how I miss. Yeah, this I mean, story. this was this was um yeah a couple of weeks ago now that this that rolled out. But you know, even for you, Daniel, I know that you have had a uh, a heck of a time being in office. Certainly, people have come after you and said some terrible, terrible things to you as well. So it is uh not for the faint of heart to be in office, is it? It's not. I. As soon as they started speaking, the tears rolled down my face. Mm-hmm. Well, well, if we had 100 of you in the state of West Virginia, we'd be in good hands. I just could not believe. I just lost my 24-year-old and I have a 20-year-old. I know how I was so protective over my son's after Kingwood, I received an assassination threat. I had to call the FBI three times. Mm -hmm. I wore a bulletproof vest for the first time on September 12th, the day after 9-11 in 2020. I just stopped wearing that bulletproof vest in May of 2021 when my oldest son got a pick line because of leukemia. My mother and my youngest son still wear their bulletproof vests, but I felt if my oldest son could not wear his, I was not gonna wear mine because I believe in equity. For every time I went out in my community, my heart breaks because I have the bulletproof vest on and those that are supporting the same cause may not. We should not have to live like that in our state, a state where I pay taxes, a state where I'm a representative, a state where I'm a homeowner, a state that I give my all to. It's not fair. 21 years old. If you can say those words so freely, why? Are they here, y'all? Mm. That's what I want to know. 
why are they here? But when I speak about sundown towns, people tell me I'm losing my mind. If you felt that that young man was gonna be safe in that county, in that particular district, you wouldn't have carved it out. So don't tell me that sundown towns don't exist. Don't tell me that racism and hate and discrimination don't exist. It does. And until we come together and stand up against it, it will always be a factor, but not on my watch. Because I'm going to educate people. And I'm going to be uncomfortable for a moment to be part of a movement. Because my children and your children and their children should not have to go through this. What is going to be the next district that we carve out in the next 10 years that we redistrict? That is straight gerrymandering. You have it in the black and white. Thank you for bringing that up, CJ. Hmm. Man, well, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've often said that no company or person is going to swoop in and save West Virginia. Um, but that's that's before I met you, Danielle. <laughs> no, yeah, um, but, but but to, to the point of, you know, if there is going to be real change in West Virginia, it is going to be from uh, people deciding enough is enough and, and wanting to advocate advocate for um, them for their our state for our culture for true real values of mountaineers and not uh bigoted stereotypes of what um is real and does exist but we cannot let that define us because i i hope to think that the majority of us don't believe and, and behave like that um so i think we have to make uh the positivity louder and i think we can suffocate out uh the negative with it um and, sure. and you're and you're certainly someone who is doing is doing just that. I mean, by coming on here and having this heartfelt conversation, I think it's going to, I mean, imagine if, if 284 new people hear this, right, and then just say, what if we got 10% of them to say, you know what, I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. And then that's 20, 15 people that go out into the community and do something. Yeah. I, I think we have the potential to do that. Um, and I think it's because of uh, inspirational leaders like yourself, Danielle. So that was a, a great, quick, informative hour, but you know, we, we strongly appreciate you coming on and and thank you for for fighting for our beloved state of West Virginia um, because it uh, it's uh, it's it's home and it, it's a it's a beautiful place and I think you're gonna um, help keep it that way and even make it even better so uh, we we greatly greatly appreciate you I appreciate you guys also thank you uh, thank you for getting up so early to accommodate <laughs> my school and this is definitely home. All mountaineers are free. So we need to work collectively and collaboratively to make sure that we stand by that model. Well, there you go. What a beautiful way to end that very in-depth conversation that we just had with Delegate Walker. I touched on so many topics, it's hard to even break down just a handful. We were all over the place talking about politics and life and just having hope for the future, not just here in the state of West Virginia, but really the entire country and the world. I think we really hit on some broad topics there. So hopefully you enjoyed that. A very thoughtful conversation again that we had with Delegate Walker. And hey, that's what it really comes down to. We feel like these are the conversations that we need to have to really motivate change in this state. And we are going to continue to do so. So Delegate Walker, thank you so much for jumping on and really just discussing how you feel about where we need to head as a state and as a society. It was very genuine and we really, really thoroughly enjoyed that talk. So thank you very much. And for everybody listening, thank you again for making it all the way through. We really appreciate it. And as always, hey, we'll be back with another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast very, very soon. All right. Peace. Peace.